This is Rilo's Quack Chat. As a coal maker, I enjoy talking shop with other duck call makers. On this podcast, it's all about duck calls and duck hunting. From the marsh to the duck call shop, we're going to find the story behind the duck calls and the people that make them. This is Rilo's Quack Chat. Hey, on this week on Rylo's Quack Chat, you got me instead of Riley. It's Luke Young. I'm back again, so get ready for the next hour of bad dad jokes and whatever we talked about last time. This week, we've got Jeremy Hill from Duck Blind Calls, so let's get it started. Jeremy, how you doing? Oh, pretty good. How about you, Luke? Uh... Well, considering we uh, we got off the phone what fourteen hours ago, I'm good. I heard that. <laughs> um, what have you been up to today? Trying to get some of these calls tuned up that I've got in. Trying to get a few more color fields and things like that on the engraving. Been out here sweating a lot, to be honest with you. Uh, that that heat ain't nothing to play with. Um, why don't you tell everybody what you got going on? Well, uh, I've made a lot of different tone boards over the last few years, and finally, finally decided it was time to make some adjustments and uh, get the one that I wanted to stick with for a long time. And whenever whenever I got it figured out, it got a CNC small batch. Uh, it's it's going good so far. I have not launched a website for it yet, so it's really just people coming directly to me to get their hands on one. But it's trying to get the website going. Hopefully by next week we can and try to get rid of some of these in a little faster pace. Well, I mean, people know about it. I mean, so basically that website is just to, I guess, kind of streamline your ordering process. Well, yeah, I guess just to make it easier rather than, I mean, most of the time, whenever people buy a call from the custom shop, it's, we sit there and shoot the bull on the messenger or, or Instagram or something, and it's basically just going to really cut that out and, and make it a lot easier process rather than having to interact with everybody. And it's not that I don't mind interacting with everybody, it's just when whenever it's 10 a week it starts like really getting into time that you need to be making calls and stuff of that nature it's trying to cut that a little bit of that uh small talk out and make it easier for people to order well yeah because i mean like with you you work swing shift so i mean there's times where you know somebody messages you and you know it might be 12 hours before you even see it <laughs> correct i mean i'm I might be asleep all day for my message me in the morning and I just worked a night shift. I might not be able to get back to them until four or five that evening and they could have done had them a call, put in the mail on the way to them. And yeah, it just cuts out all that. I mean, especially during duck season. I mean, you're in between North Alabama and Northeast Arkansas. And I mean, hell, it, it took me everything I had to keep up when you were going last year. Oh, yeah. Well, it was usually about every other day because I stayed out there last year. 
I mean, I but like I mean, but that's the good thing about, you know, having calls. I mean, it affords you to do some more of the stuff that you enjoy doing outside of work. Oh, I mean, yeah. It definitely helps feed the, feed the addiction, as I would say. Kind of like you're a drug addict or something. <laughs> I mean, I've definitely heard you sound like a drug addict more than once. <laughs> that's that sleep deprivation kicks in. Whew. Right, and that's what happens uh, to a lot of people. <laughs> but um, why don't you tell the people listening how you got started with duck blind calls? Uh, well, it really started off with a conversation at uh at the duck camp one one weekend or something. We was out there and. We were just talking about duck calls, and there's a buddy of that's in the hunt club. That, I mean, he's, he collects calls, of, I guess, to an extent. I mean, he's not some of your recently passed great Bart Suggs that have, a, have just an amazing collection or anything like that. But he, he had a bunch of calls, and we're always blowing on them. And he said, man, I'd really like to make one. And... I said, let's, I kind of just told him, let's, what are you talking about it for? Let's just do it. And I guess this was probably five years ago or so. And being my gun ho self, I just went in, got online, started looking up lathes and thought, at the time, I thought, I'm going to make a duck call by buying a lathe. And turns out that don't happen. And uh, you got, Tons of money sunk into tooling, and five years later, you got four lathes, uh, all kind of tooling for those lathes that cost out the rear end. It's and it got to the point where this people started wanting calls, and I was like, "Well, I'd love to give, I'd love to sell you one because I've got a lot of money sunk into this." So, <laughs> I mean, so you know, five years and tens of thousands of dollars later, here you are. Yeah, I mean, it just it got in the pockets pretty deep, and I just started selling locally, and then it just kind of kept going from there, and just snowball effect. But it started with just a conversation at the duck camp about making a duck call. I mean, you have definitely, especially since I found out about you what about two years ago, probably two. I mean, two and a half, something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> two years and. Tens of hours of phone calls later, here we are in the podcast. <laughs> but I mean, personally, I mean, you know, pretty much just as well as anybody that's, you know, seen my post of my collection of heads, I've probably got more calls of just yours than anybody else's. Oh, yeah. And, I'm, and they're all heads, too. <laughs> I, I mean, for now. That's I was about to change that. But I mean, to me, you make personally a call that can handle me. Not that I can handle because me and you both put tons of air through a call. Right. And we got, everybody has different air presentations. That's why there's so many calls and so many different lights with people out there just so happened i know just from talking to you and selling you so many calls that 
our air presentation is pretty close because you really like the you really like what I come up with, and I'm personally not making something that I can't blow. Exactly. And I mean, like that's the good thing about having a, a personal relationship with a call maker. You can, I mean, like for me, I can hear somebody blow a call and know exactly what air they're putting through. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean you can. some sometimes you can. Yeah, some people fool you because some people got some manipulation that we that some don't have whenever it comes to blowing calls. Well, I mean, the only person that really comes to mind is Kent Coleman, and he's he's just a freak of nature. Oh yeah, he's he's one of those guys I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can hand him a straw and a pair of scissors; he's gonna make you compet- competition call in five minutes. Right. <laughs> I mean. But for a small shop guy, I mean, no offense to you, but there's a hundred other guys like you. Oh, yeah. But yours to me, I mean, there's a few others that I do like. I mean, because I'm extremely picky. Yours stand out because I can lock up a call, no problem. I mean. And and that that goes, to, to me, that goes back to. And I hope all call makers are like this, but I know some of them aren't. Some of them push them a lot quicker and try to get rid of them. But I, the tuning table is where my times get spent. Probably yeah. probably 65% of my time. And, I mean, that's probably crazy percentage to a lot of call makers. But I don't care if it looks pretty or not. It doesn't matter to me because I'm looking more forward to selling sound. And... That's why I spend my time at the tuning table. And if that call will not will not do what I need it to do when I go hunting, it's not leaving the shop. It's probably going in the scrap bucket. So that that's just the, that's probably the reason behind that is my my time spent at the tuning table rather than at the lathe. Well, I mean, even the scrap bucket calls because you know I have one. The sound was there. And I did give it to your. That was for your son, and you and you told him something. Well, I mean, he actually told me, you know, you can blow it call really good. You should use that. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's my story. But I mean, stick to that then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he ain't gonna say no different because he can't really talk. Right. <laughs> but I mean, like it was just, it was crosscut hedge, which you know, has a tendency to crack. Yep. But that tone board was spot on. And with me, I'm just like you. I mean, looks of it, you do have to catch my eye. But those ducks don't care what that duck call looks like. Uh, that's a fact. And that's that's what I like spending most of my time. That's the, probably the most gratifying of call making is, is sitting at the tuning table. And when one... When you run one and it hit, you hit a lick on it, it hits that right note and it runs from top to bottom, that is probably the happiest moment of every call that I take. Or, or I mean, every make, I should say. And I've heard those unhappy moments when you take just a little bit too much off of it. Yeah, you, can, you can definitely do that. And then you most likely won't throw it up against the wall in the shop or start stomping on it or smash it with a hammer. But, I mean, 
like you know a conversation the other night with your cut man the whole thing i can mess up this barrel because it's mine that was the mentality whenever i was doing cutting on the trail yeah i mess it up i'll get another one <laughs> yeah i mean you don't want to mess it up but you're also not scared to do it oh yeah i mean it's it's Great. like your new old school calls <laughs> Those phone calls weren't that fun trying to figure out which way you were going to go with it. I kind of like the way that the way it's went with those old old school calls. I mean, oh, absolutely. I've had people calling me and just wanting this shape and that shape. They'll send me some sketches or something like that. I've had multiple people that just like the idea of an old school call, but with the new day and age tone board sound and whatnot and, and they just want this certain shape and i've i've pushed out quite a few to some people like that and just i'm mean, gonna try to hit it the best i can from the sketch that they sent me or or, or anything and I had quite a few different shapes in the old school so far i can't remember how many it was but i think you're on well with this last one i sent you i think it's like number four it was four or five different shapes but it, that, I mean, that's really fun, though, to me. Uh, to me, they live close to me. Commit Game Calls, really good call company, too. Uh, they they do a great job. They're doing a little old-school uh, deal right now, too, and doing a great job at it. And we were talking about it, and I told them, I said, you know, for the last couple of years, I mean, I, I've been turning the same, same old shape. Let's do Let's do something different, and it it's enjoyable to sit there and put a piece of paper next to the lay and literally just freelance it. I mean, just freestyle a call off of a piece of paper that somebody sent you in a sketch. Uh, instead of doing the same old shape, it, it's been enjoyable to me. It's kind of a – instead of taking a break, I know a lot of call makers take a break. Yeah. That was my break to me. It was it was fun. I mean, it got me away from my normal shape for a little while. I mean, especially which me knowing you personally, it took away that I guess nervousness of having such a big C and C run, and kind of brought it back to the basics of just why you do this. Yeah, exactly the. The comfort that the lathe sitting behind the lathe gives it gives me. I'm sure it gives a lot of people, but it it's almost like therapy to me. I really like I enjoy turning uh, and not turning the same shape and trying to trying to be so precise in tolerances and everything with that shape that I do on a daily basis went away when I did this old school deal. It was kind of like us. It's freestyle. I ain't got to do nothing but go where the wood takes me. I mean, and it was cool. Well, I mean, especially on mine, like, you know, you didn't do that high gloss finish. Well, my last one, the Buddy Duke inspired uh, shape, at least on the barrel. I mean, you came to me, it's like, you know, I've more or less just, you know, sanded it down and put a little bit of finish on it, but it wasn't this 
your normal of the high gloss, you know, flawless. No, and 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 I've actually got a call. I didn't post it. Uh, I forgot to, and, but I got a call going out to another guy. And some people probably know him. He's a call collector, kind of like you and Jed Hayes. He he wanted a certain shape, and when I sent him the finish of it. It kind of blew me away. I mean, but it, it was cool at the same time. They, all I did was, I mean, it was sanded down. I mean, it was very good sand job, but it was not polished out or old finish. It was not beeswaxed. It wasn't nothing that that I would have done to an old school call finish. I was just wanting him to tell me, hey, is this close to the shape that you were wanting? And he said, yes. And he said, also, leave it that dull look he wanted that dull look kind of like your call rather than shining it up putting that full finish on it he just he loved that dull look and i was just like well that's cool i mean it's not gonna be it's gonna be hard to put that call through a lot of i guess weather and stuff without having a good finish on it it's probably not gonna be as protected as well but it does give a call a different look and it is cool so he might be put he might go be putting it on the shelf or just take really good care of it when he does take it <laughs> i mean because me myself i flat out told you get get that hedge as dirty as you can and send it on yeah i mean because a lot of your calls in my collection personally are just going to sit there and you know that yeah but i mean that you really like and are are, are really got used to and wanted to carry with you and you beat up yeah most of the others are going to sit there you can't put you can't put eight to ten calls on your lander and i think you got eight to ten of my calls <laughs> uh i think i'm actually up to 11 now Jeez. <laughs> i mean which is literally a quarter of my collection <laughs> i mean funny. but you know i'm I've got the only short barrel cut down. I can't blow that thing worth nothing, but I've got it. That's right. I mean, but that, you're cutting. Huh? That, was, that was your idea too. I did, I, I haven't made <laughs> another one. You just wanted to try it, and it worked. It worked. It was good. Yeah. I mean, it, it's more of a harder blowing cut down because you know I'm not a cut down guy. Right. I mean. You know, me blowing a cut down is like me blowing a can of the goose call. I can make it make a sound, but it ain't going to be enjoyable. Right. It's not going to. I mean, I'm kind of the same way about that crap. It's just, I can blow one. I can, I, can, I can blow it decent, I would say, but I don't even want to try to put myself in the category of some of them timber guys that bark on them things all duck season. I, I'm nowhere near as good as all them guys. But, you know, to me, your cut down is more user friendly than I, I would say 90% that are out there. Well, I mean, I, it, it is. It, and when I originally made it, it, it was that was my intentions was I don't want to have to borrow somebody's pet elephant to help me blow a cut down like a lot of them are. And that was my intentions behind making a cut down, but there's also drawbacks to the way I made it too. And since you brought it up, I'll just let you know it's uh, that's being worked on as we speak. And 
I'm hoping in the next couple of months we got the fine details worked out, and I'm gonna have I'm gonna have another jig made and have another run of calls or just just some minor things changed up on the tone board to hopefully compensate those flaws and help with the flaws that I found after running it for a year hunting. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, but with this new CNC run from, you know, what I've heard, I haven't got my hands on one just yet. Chris Hill unlocked something in your call that you've been trying to do for you well, know, at least a couple of years. Well, that's what I was, instead of getting another jig made, I sent, uh, I made a tone board that I really, really liked, and I sent it to, uh, to Chris and I said, Chris, I think I filed on this one just a hair too much. I said, but this is the the contour of the of the curvature and everything on this tone board that I want in my call. And I told him, I said, just give me five thousandths of an inch more meat in, in a certain place where I think I messed it up. I said, give me that, uh, put it back on it. And we, we actually, just between me and him, started uh, talking about, let's shorten the tone board just a hair also. And with those two things that we came up with, well, let me back up. He, he sent me back the tone board and I was like, right, so, no. We missed, we messed up. So we made adjustments. I said, no, we, we got to do this. We got to do that. And then Chris said, well, let's do this too. And it was just a, a collaboration of back and forth. And he sent me multiple tone boards after we would make an adjustment. And I said, that's it. And I sent him, or I, I told him the one that we came up with, I told him this is the, the one. Well, you also can't leave out that Kent Cullum had something to do with that, too. I mean, he he was there in that shop, and Chris is here. I I wouldn't doubt it if he tested them before he sent them, because he can blow the crap out of a call. (laughs) I mean, but... Not at all. You know, for me, looking at, you know... You getting a new call, I mean, A, who done your CNC work? Chris Hill. And Chris is really good buddies with Kent. I mean, Kent's in that shop. I'd probably give it every day. I don't know how close of friends they really are, but I talked to Chris, uh, yeah, two days ago, I guess it was Friday, and we were we were talking, and I was just telling him, I said, "Man, you done just done a good job. I appreciate I appreciate you dealing with my OCDness and sending tone boards back and forth because I know I was probably a pain in his rear end, telling him fix this, fix this, I need this, and all that. And I know it probably that probably bugs people like that, but I was being real particular with him, and when I called him up that yesterday or friday he said yeah that dang kent was in my shop 
practicing on Main Street. I had to get out of there. He about blew my eardrums out. He, uh, <laughs> so I guess him and uh, Ken are pretty good buddies. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, if you got somebody like Kent, you know, pretty much in your back pocket, you pretty much have the duck call world in your back pocket. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's a good thing for Chris to have him there or not. Because, <laughs> uh, Chris could probably make a, a, a junky tone board and Kent still make it sound like the nastiest mileage you ever heard in your life. <laughs> Uh, I, I, thing or a bad thing because he can blow about anything you put in his hands and it might be crap <laughs> that that is very true i mean people like me and you you know <laughs> when we get a junky tone board up in front of us it's it's not going to get any better no it's a it's a junky tone board <laughs> at that point. <laughs> i mean but you know the good thing for you you hunt what about an hour and a half from them at the most? Uh, I've not been his shop, but he's, after we've become, I guess, business acquaintances and, and buddies per se, whatever you want to call it, uh, he did tell me to come up there this year when I get out there hunting, come up there and hang out. We'll, we'll check out the shop, see where what's going on in there, what he's got going. and He's been a great guy to me. It was awesome doing business with him and I look forward to this hunting season. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to go up there. It can't be more than an hour and a half at max. It's probably less than that, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, because you're pretty much just south of Harrisburg, and they're, I think, around 25 minutes, give or take, from Paragould. So, I mean, it, either way, it's doable. Oh yeah, I get done hunting one day. What else? Unless I plan on going back out because I didn't have a good morning hunt or something. Uh, what else to do all day out there hunting? I'm going to go up there and check him out, hang out with him, see what he's got going on. I mean, you might not want to take your daddy because you might be in there two days talking. Well, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll be in there blowing duck calls and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that brings me to another point. Like, you grew up and for the most, or for all intents and purposes, northeast Alabama. It's could be north central, depending on. It's probably it's it's more north. It, it's north central, right around the Hartsville area is probably the biggest name for most people. But it it's a small town in Hartsville, Alabama. How was hunting around there growing oh, up? Let me take that back. Hartsville, Alabama is where I live now. I grew up in Priceville, I should say. So that's a little <laughs> small Hartsville. <laughs> But how was hunting around there growing up, you know, Man, was it worth anything? When I was young, we would, I, re, I remember, I can still remember dad, them going out and killing a lot of, I mean, a lot of ducks. And then whenever I finally got to get go, going hunting with them, when I was probably around seven range, we was still killing a lot of ducks. And, and I guess whenever I got into my teens at like high school years when I started driving and hunting with some of my buddies rather than hunting with my dad as much. The hunting had declined a little bit, but if you wanted to put in the work and hours, you could still kill birds, but to get those good spots, we were, man, I was sleeping on the bow of the boat in 30 degree weather, sitting out there 
freezing at midnight just so I could get those spots to hunt. And, and and that was your only option. Do you want to go kill birds and get those spots, or do you want to get beat to the spot and wake up at 3.30 or 4 and try to get them and, and like I said, get beat to them and only kill a couple of birds? And that's to the that's what it got to, and now it's done got so overpopulated in my area around the Tennessee River range to, of hunting in North Alabama that it got too much, but I guess about, it's been about seven or eight years ago, I I couldn't handle it no more. I did, I probably could handle it. I guess I've been lazy or whatever, <laughs> but I wasn't staying up all night no more. And I started spending more of my time in Arkansas because normally we would, we'd go to Arkansas. I'd go with dad when I was younger, but it was more just every now and then. It wasn't, it wasn't when we're going hunting, we're going to the hunting camp at Arkansas now we I might have hunted three days in Alabama the last four years. I mean, that's I mean just, now that's the way it's got around here. That's on that's like it is for a lot of people. I mean, even people in Arkansas. I mean, like for me example, I grew up hunting Cash River bottoms and White River bottoms. And, you know, we could go out five days a week and I mean you know, kill birds every day. I'm not saying we'd limit out, but, you know, you can't really do that. You've got to move anywhere you go. Yeah, you... In Arkansas, to me, you still have a large population of birds. Um, This is all of them. Man, there's 14 million different opinions about it. I don't... I hate to even put mine out there, but, I mean... There's still a lot more birds in Arkansas than I can even try to hunt and even see in Alabama. That's why. Oh, absolutely. That's why we stay out there. Granted, you can't just go hunt somebody's pothole field they threw a pit in and and hunt it every day though. It's, it ain't gonna work. I mean, you got to have rest. You you got to take into effect the amount of hunters nowadays the pressure that gets put on them birds. You gotta rest birds and, and it's almost like a almost like a math problem. You have to really <laughs> you have to really sit there and think every evening where did we hunt the last four days? What hole has not been hunted? What hole has had a lot of rest? Where are the birds right now? Have they moved closer to the river? Is it iced up? you got to take into effect so many things to stay on them out there, but you're still amongst a ton of birds because you're in the middle of that flyway. Well, I mean, for you coming from Alabama, it, it's absolutely true because, I mean, Arkansas, to anybody outside of the state, you know, that's where the ducks want to be. Yep. I mean, now you got people like you that do understand that just because you're in Arkansas don't mean you're going to kill a bird. No, no, you're right. <laughs> and there is a lot of people out there that, that that's their mindset. And and I'm sure a lot of people molding their mindset over the last few years because I've heard multiple uh, platforms, whether it be some forums and or, or social media pages just talking about this subject and I'm sure there's a lot of people starting to understand the the work 
and the strategic planning that it takes to even stay on birds out there. And and I'll be honest with you, I hope it, I hope somebody or there, I hope there's a lot of people out there that don't want to do that strategic planning and stuff because I'd like to see the pressure go down a little bit myself. I mean, you're absolutely correct because I started hunting back in 1992, which was around the time you were born. <laughs> so I've seen a few more years. I mean, granted, I was a small child, but I've seen those years to where, you know, access to the Cache River was just as easy as, you know, like for me, one of my grandpa's buddies, he butted up to the Cache River. So he let us pretty much use his driveway to park in and just walk into the woods, which is where the Cache River Refuge started and have one of the best holes that, I mean, me personally, I mean, I was like six, but you know, you could go kill birds 200 yards from somebody's house. Oh, yeah. I mean, you got a lot of these LLCs and, and land management and land owners now that are blocking those those things that you used to have access to to get to that river back years ago. And now you got to take that long boat ride from the boat ramp rather than just crossing over somebody. Now it's hard to cross over somebody whenever half the Deckham River is locked down with LLCs up and down it and everything to keep people from that. I mean, we're going to get into this because both me and you are opinionated and, you know, our opinion is our opinion. We've talked about oh, this. Uh, it might not have much truth behind it. <laughs> well, no, but we're going to have an opinion. Right. But, you know, we've talked about this, the amount of people going to Arkansas now. It, it's, it's, you know, tenfold of what used to be. I mean, that goes into a lot of you know, these problems people are having, oh, there's no birds. Well, the, you know, there's somebody's ass sitting in a hole, like, way back in this small water that you used to couldn't get to without a mud motor. And, I mean, I'm not blaming mud motors solely, but, I mean, it, it does go into play, and plus the number of people that have gotten into the sport. I mean, it's all got to be taken into an account like you said, you know, you can't cross people like for a right away. You got to take a long way around. You've got to beat all these guys with these souped up motors. You know, there might be three or four boats in a group. And I mean, it it's not that the ducks have changed per se by themselves. They've been forced to change. Uh, the opinion of mine is um. And it's all an opinion. Like I said, everybody's got their own thing you have it. Uh, but the pressure of the people, in my opinion, push birds and change their paths up uh, and push them into certain places. And birds aren't stupid. They're going to find their, they're going to find those safe places and they're going to be hidden back. It's not like whenever I was younger growing up, I mean, you could just, you could about just go out there and throw some water in some fields and birds didn't know no different. They didn't care because there wasn't <laughs> much pressure at that time. There was there was half the hunters probably. And you didn't have to disguise or or confuse them to get them to come in there like you do now. And to me, and like you said, it's just an opinion, but I mean if you 
if you want to stay on birds now, you got to do some work. And it's going to be rough this year with them gas prices the way they are to do that work and stay on the road and go and check in all your holes that you might have leased or go in to check all your holes on the river that you know of. And it's going to be hard to do that. But that's what, in my opinion, and that's what I do is I, I put it, I try to keep putting in the work and just going and looking, checking, finding where they at. They might be stuck off in a deep hole somewhere that you can't see them. You just got to get out walking and check them out, find where they're at. Well, I mean, because, you know, back in the day, you know, we've both heard this having private property hunt. You know, it must be nice. It's not nice because, you know, if those birds move off those few spots that you have, you don't have birds. Oh, you're right. The the, the public land river hunters are... The ones that primarily do that now, I mean, they're kind of the smart ones right now because they're not spending as much money as, say, somebody like me or some people that I hunt with. We try to lease a, quite, a, quite a few holes just to have options, but them river hunters, they don't have to lease nothing. They'll go on that same search that I go on all the time for free. <laughs> yes, and, you know, they're not really... I mean, they're restricted by the boundaries of that refuge or how much gas they have. Yeah, and that I might mean, not be as much gas this year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because me and you have hunted both, and, you know, we do have the luxury of being able to sleep in a little bit. But, you know, some days sleeping in ain't worth it. I mean, waking up at 5 o'clock, man, you'd be better off waking up at 2.30. Yeah, and then it's just all according to what mood you're in. If you really want to go fight that traffic or go get in there and try to get with them and 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 get on the birds, or do you want to sleep in and just hope for the best? It's just it's all it's all in what you're feeling like that day. I, well, hold on, let's get real. Are you really ever feeling like getting up at two thirty in the morning? Never. <laughs> it, it really goes back to how bad do you want to do this yeah no, no, I, just truthfully that's one reason I stopped hunting in Alabama so much because I wasn't doing it no more and I'd rather put in the day the hours during the day evening after I get done hunting that day and go try to search birds out that I can sleep in and go get on the next morning that's that's my personal philosophy, I should say, but it's, well, I, don't, I mean, I'm not against going to the river. I'd love to and get out there and do some more hunting on the river than I normally do, but it's, it's just, a, it's a lot more work and you, know, you can't be lazy and I like to be lazy sometimes. <laughs> well, I mean, and for you, you know, you get to hunt with your dad a lot. I mean, that's something a lot of us never experience. Oh yeah. We, we hunt together pretty much every day I hunt during the winter. He's there, or if he's not there, we split up and we went with other people, but we'll be meeting back up at the house later. So we're always, he's always there, and I'm always mm-hmm. there. I mean, which for me, you know, I grew up with a dad that didn't hunt. I mean, there have been times, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm almost jealous. You know, that's because, you know, we've had this conversation. You know, those are memories that you're making that, you know, will never go away. Oh, yeah. For sure. I mean, 
because, you know, like last year, what was it? One of the first days of the season, he shot a banded teal. And was that I, was that last was that last? That year? was last year. Yeah, I, I got a picture. I mean, which he did hunt a lot last year, so I mean, I could see where you know that kind of gets me. Was that last year? Or was that five years ago? Yeah, it's hard to keep up with. I, <laughs> I, I did stay out there a lot. <laughs> you, you did. <laughs> Like that night, I was having to call you to tell you there's a tornado. <laughs> I was okay. That tornado comes crossed over the highway about three quarters of a mile from our hunting camp, and we was we yeah. was at the south in the truck at the time. We knew where it was coming. It, it got rough. <laughs> I mean, what do you have? Four guys, three dogs, a side by side on a trailer. I, yeah. I, think I had the side by side on the trailer, and and we all jumped in. I think I had, I think I had four guys in my truck and three dogs, and they we didn't have time to jump. We didn't have time to get all the dogs in the dog box and stuff. We literally opened the doors and everybody jumped <laughs> in. Truck was a mess. <laughs> I mean, because that was, it was the same night. I'm not a hundred percent of the the same tornado, but that's the one that hit up there where Chris is that hit that nursing home pretty hard. And I mean, y'all were definitely lucky because three quarters of a mile to, to a tornado is nothing. Well, uh, I'll, I'll add the worst part to it. Four guys at hunting camp, no hot water heater for two days, no electricity for two days after, mm. no showers, sweaties, rear ends coming out of them waders for two days, no showers. That was probably just as rough as the tornado having to do Because, I mean, I mean, it got, luckily enough, it did get pretty cold the next couple of days. So, I mean, that was probably your saving grace from, you know, probably choking somebody out. Oh, yeah. Because I'm <laughs> sure everybody was smelling right by the time that, that electricity came back on. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, that's the stuff we go through as hunters. I mean, granted, we don't want to, but, you know, that's the chances we take because, you know, Arkansas weather is just, it's so finicky. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you a good one, too, man. That's the second tornado in five years that I have personally been in during hunting season. The other one, before we bought that house over there and had that, we got that hunting camp right there north of Hickory Ridge, we were over on Harrisburg on Roberts Lane. And it was daytime, so we were sitting out uh, sitting out behind the house just watching birds fly to the fields and checking some things out, just all sitting around after we got done hunting. And literally a tornado, we had been watching a funnel cloud for 30 minutes coming at us like morons. And all of a sudden, a tornado dropped out of it. So that's that's two experiences with tornadoes I have been in during hunting season in Arkansas, which is crazy to me. I mean, because wasn't it right after last year's tornado, you left and came back, and it was just a big snowstorm? I mean, it was one of those times. I mean, you pretty much ran the gamut of hot weather, tornadoes, not necessarily a snowstorm, an ice storm. Yeah, I think that's it even was, worse. It, which I mean, it was good. It wasn't bad for me. 
I, I was out there to stay all the way through it, but we actually had one guy, one of our buddies in the hunt club that was going home the day that it was icing up in Memphis and everything. He had to go home through that crap. But to me, I didn't, I didn't, it, it don't bother me if I get iced up and snowed in out there. I have, that's kind of cool to me. Can't come, can't come home. Sorry, guys. Can't come to work. <laughs> Whatever. Call work and tell them I can't make it. It's just, just ain't happening. I can get down the road to the duck's hole, but I cannot get back to work. <laughs> I mean, and plus having an understanding wife doesn't hurt. Oh, yeah. Well, well, I mean, she might understand. She might not like it, but you know, what's she going to do? Come get you? Right. I've, <laughs> mine's been really good with letting me and let me really enjoy the hunting and and i mean really now with, with the calls as heavy as they are on us and and it's almost like i want to be there not only to hunt i want to be there to try these calls out just putting these calls to the test i want to see the reactions and everything in every hunting situation and I don't know. It's kind of like almost like business to me. Like I want to, I want to, I want to make a difference to my call, so I need to put the work to it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because you know, you had one on my lanyard. Um, I mean, you had several on other people's lanyards, but it was always, you know, I would tell you which call I used, and I mean, to me, which was weird, I was using that cut down a lot. I mean, what, even field hunting, like I could not, not just pick it up. Right. I mean, it, 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 the cut down to me, and I mean, this is for a lot of cut downs. Everybody can speak on these terms, I'm sure, but the cut down on, on your, your soft pecking, your feeding, and whatever, it's just so user friendly. And that's a lot of cut downs. It's just so naturally sounding and user friendly on them on that that uh feed call and and that i i'm guilty of it too i'm not i say guilty i'm not guilty i use i use mine a lot for a lot of pecking and feeding and finishing ducks myself well i mean but you know we've talked about this several times you told me you know i ain't doing that yet i mean and I'm going to, you know, kind of put you on the spot, you know, throw you under the bus. I mean, for somebody that hunts Arkansas like you do and has the capacity to make a great call, I mean, it's just a matter of time before you got to branch out and speck a buzz. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because, you know, we have tons. Uh, I, I enjoy eating speckle bellies. I, I don't <laughs> hunt them like I do ducks yet. But I do enjoy eating them, and and I do hunt them from time to time. So you're exactly spot on. Eventually, it will happen. But I'm gonna push that as far as I can. I got enough on my plate right now. <laughs> oh, and I'm still gonna bring it up. You know, about once every couple months. Because I mean, like, you know, I, I hunt speckled at least more than you do, and you know, there's not but a handful of small shop guys that have branched out in the speckle belly. So it's almost, you know, an untapped market for a small guy to do it. Right. 
I mean, I have, you, I have yet to do it, but I know it's it would be a whole nother challenge. And not saying that I'm done challenging myself, but I have challenged myself and stressed myself out <laughs> to the limit as of the last year trying to get certain things done, whether it be tape frame tweaks or cut down tweaks. It's coming, but it'll be a little while is all I can say. <laughs> well, I mean, how long did it take me to, you know, keep pissing you about an old school call? What, about a year? Probably. That's I it. mean, I'm sure, I, I'm sure we brought the subject up about a year ago. I mean, but, you know, I hit you at the right time. You know, you, I could kind of tell you were getting a little burnout. You're saying, you know, I'm just going to worry about the CNC uh, run. And I was like, I want an old school call. And I mean, you know, like I was saying, it wasn't fun because, I mean, I sent you picture after picture after picture of these old school calls. And, you know, you you took certain aspects out of a couple calls. And I mean, I mean, I can't take any credit for it other than, you know, I asked. I mean, because you could have told me, you know, quit calling me. <laughs> I ain't doing this. Get on my nerves. But no, you know, I, but I, but you're right. I did enjoy it. It was, it was a break from everything else on uh, doing the same old shape every day. It's, that was, that was fun. And not saying I'm done. I'll still probably do some more of them in the future. It's just, uh, it, it was really, it happened really fast. Everybody liked them. A lot of people loved them. And, and was wanting them and it went really fast and now that i have the cnc run i'm like i said i'm not saying i'm done with those old school i'm still gonna do them it's just i gotta get these cncs tuned up and get them ready and get them out it's on to the next challenge right now that's all it yeah. is I'll be, I'll be back on them old school eventually but i mean you know like with your regular j frame you know that's always gonna be there i mean you're you're pretty much, I mean, I'm just going to put it out there. You're using the same jig as your normal call. I mean, you've had to make a couple tweaks because, you know, differences and, you know, barrel lengths, keg lengths, you know, all that. But, you know, you're pretty much basing it off of your standard call. And so, you know, these people getting these old school calls, you know, they're not just buying an old school call. They're buying an old school call that will flat out run you know what those old school calls were lacking way back in the day of our grandpa's right no no you're right and the barrel length was a big one because you're to me old school call was that long barrel look and i mean i i was trying my best to give that same long look in a shorter version because to me, I needed that shorter version to run my, my call effectively and the right way that I intended for my call to be ran. I was having to try to make these barrels shorter but still look long. You know what I mean? It was it was a it was a it was very challenging. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, you as a call maker, it it's not necessarily what you live for, but you're up for the challenge. Oh yeah. Just not every day. That's I'm okay. pretty confident. That's why everybody starts making calls is 
just to see what if they can do it. And when you try to do something that you don't know if you can do or not, it's always fun, a fun challenge for sure. I mean, because to me, I ran Richmond home for a number of years. I mean, I can't say that, you know, I'm just a fanatic, but the Rich and Tone short barrel and micro hen were two calls to me that, you know, personally, I could run. And, you know, there were other calls out there that, you know, were set up on the same barrel links and insert links and all that. But, I mean, this was not necessarily pre-small shops, because small shops have always been there. But those reaching tones were easy to get. I mean, oh. I, I could walk into Max and, you know, blow on a couple and pick which one worked for me. And, you know, I, I never cared about color or anything like that. I mean, I've had a bubblegum pink reaching tone before. <laughs> bubblegum pink reaching tone. I, well, I mean, it, I was kind of disappointed that it, it didn't taste like bubblegum, but, you know, that's. Those were made for the women and the kids. Possibly, but nobody wanted to steal it. <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. <laughs> I mean, I could leave that thing on my dash, and somebody was like, "Man, that girl has a nice truck." Then I come out. <laughs> I mean, but you know, it was that call that worked extremely well for me. I mean, did I like buying that bulb gun paint? Absolutely not. But you know. I, I wasn't worried about getting a order in a custom color. I was just worried about that sound, which kind of goes back to our early conversation. You know, that duck did not care about that bubblegum pink color. I mean, now all my buddies did. I mean, there were some very off-color jokes made about that one. <laughs> but, you know, oh, go ahead. Oh, I just, I just said I bet there was some good jokes about that. There's still jokes about that. <laughs> I mean, but you know, now with this social media and everything, it is easier to get what the consumer wants as far as duck calls. I mean, it, what, as a call maker, I mean, you've probably had, which I know you've had, you know, just some just oddball requests, like, you know, with caps and inlays and you know, color combinations of woods or acrylics. I mean, it, it's just made it easier for people like me to get them. Now I don't have to carry that bubblegum pink call. And, you know, I'm still blowing a really good call. Right. And that's the thing about all these calls out there, man. They're, they're so easy to get your hands on. And and I feel like it's a great market Um for people like myself or any duck call maker because even though people buy your call all they're doing is trying it they can offload it at any time because there's so much social media trading that they can offload that call for something if it doesn't work for them all they're doing is buying one from you to try it out just to see if their airways are working for for that call kind of like you you kind of gravitate towards my call because you're you blow it good, but probably because our air intake, everything, the way we present our air into a call is very similar. But what I'm saying, though, there is so many options for people to be buying these calls because they know they can offload them. There's so many trading options on social media. I mean, there absolutely is because, you know, 
if I would have kept all those, you know, rich and tones, I mean, I went through Echoes, I went through Zinc at one time. Um, you know, if I'd have kept those, man, I'd be, I would be rolling in money because it was that long ago that, you know, now they, those calls are worth something. I mean, but, you know, back then I wasn't worried about, you know, I'm going to put that on the shelf. I mean, like before call nuts, I had calls, but I wasn't necessarily a call collector. Yeah. I mean, I and, you know, like you brought him up, Bart Suggs was very instrumental of me collecting hedge. And, you know, which you knew him just as well as I did. I mean, he was one of the biggest. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I hate to get in everybody else's pockets on, on some of these big call collectors because I don't know, but to me as a call collector, I don't, like I said, I don't know. There could be 25, there could be a hundred bigger ones than him, but man, that dude, he had one heck of a collection. He, he told me a lot about it. He came over to the shop. Um, it's been close to two years ago now, and man, he sat in the shop over here because I was fortunate enough to live only like 20 minutes from him. And he come over here, and I bet he stayed three, four hours one day while I was cutting on calls and stuff and just talking about what he had. And he had a substantial collection of duck calls. Oh, I I absolutely agree because, you know, once I kind of started with Hedge, I would find one and, like, you got one of these, and he'd send me a picture. And I'm like, well, that would be a yeah. I don't think there was one certain call that I sent him that I was just tickled pink to get that he didn't either own it right then or had owned it. I don't doubt that at all. I I think he had three. He had bought three. No, let me take it back. He cut down from me, but he, the reason he got in contact with me and got to know me was because he traded up for two of my calls and uh, put one on the shelf because I think it was second one off my first custom jig. And and that came from me. And I think his other J-frame he had, he, his son put it on his lanyard, and then he come and bought a cut down for me. So, I mean, he had three of three of mine. I'm sure he had three of everybody. Man, he had, it was crazy with what that man collects. I mean, I'm lucky enough to have, I think I have one that came off of his shelf. And, you know, that's never going anywhere. I mean, because, I mean, I can remember the day that I found out, like, you were actually working that night. And I don't, I didn't wake you up, but it was one of the first messages you sent when you woke up after he died, I mean, we were both kind of in shocks, like, you know, he was just here. Yeah, I mean, I did, I talked, I probably talked to him within a, within a few weeks of it, and I, I he kind of lost me when I was saying it, I was like, man, come out of nowhere, but we don't ever know, we don't ever know what tomorrow brings for us, that's for sure. I mean, and you know, that goes back to your dad, I mean, 
you know, you're getting in time with him that, I mean, could end tomorrow. Either way, you or him. I mean, so. That's a fact. I mean, so it's just not hunting. I mean, it is, but it's not. You know, if 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 we really enjoyed something, we wouldn't do it if it caused more stress. And duck hunting is one of those things that causes stress every day. Oh, it I mean, does. Well, I, I don't know if it's stress or if it's just uh, a drive. It's like, man, they hoodooed me this morning. They got me. <laughs> I, I couldn't get on them. By then, I'm going to find them, though. I'm going to get on them tomorrow. So it's, it's kind of like cut call making. I think it turns into a challenge <laughs> whenever they screw you over one morning and you're like, all right, that's all right. I got you tomorrow. Well, I mean, I do remember at one hunt last year, and I think it was one of the mornings that I wasn't able to go with you that y'all killed all those ringnecks. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was, we, wasn't, we wasn't having much luck on anything. <laughs> we tore into some ringnecks one day out there this year. I'm I mean, them high. <laughs> but I mean that just goes back to you know, <laughs> just because you have that private land, don't mean you got ducks. And you might have ducks, but they might not be good ones. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was happy to shoot them because we were having we were having a pretty tough time the last day or two before that. And whenever they started flying in like that. I wasn't holding back on them. I, <laughs> I mean, but I I kind of remember your season a little bit better than mine because I kind of, you know, spaced out and didn't want to remember what was about to happen. But, I mean, y'all stayed on ducks pretty much all year. I mean, y'all, were, y'all weren't putting up big numbers the whole time, but you're putting up numbers. We, we chased almost last year, man. It, it was a... Uh, we had tough times. Don't get me wrong. There's still we still had tough days, but for the most part, I, I, whether our mathematical equation of chasing ducks worked out or not, we we made good decisions, rested in certain places, and jumped on them whenever we knew they were hot, and, and played our cards right. Man, it's just luck of the draw. Mother Nature had a factor in it too. It's just. Everything came together pretty good. I ain't gonna lie, I had a very enjoyable duck season last year. I mean, and now you've got a new call with the CNC run to really put them to the test. I mean, it's either gonna either gonna run them off or we're gonna kill a few more. Who knows? I mean, I've hunted with some guys that you know can't blow a duck. I don't think you got a problem running them off. No, I hope I hope. (laughs) I mean. I don't want to get ahead of myself, though. <laughs> you might forget something and, you know, be quite important. You're like, oh, man, I, you know. I think you got them figured out, whether it's you think you got the best call on your lander or you got the best spot. They'll make a liar out of you when you start talking like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and quick. But um, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Instead of Riley's three questions, I've got my own. If there is one thing that you could change as a call maker in the past five years to your call, what would it be? If there's one thing that I 
that I would change for what? Your call. Whether it be the progression of your tone board, the progression, I mean, pretty much anything. Is there any one thing that you would change in the past five years to get you where you are now? Uh, you can't put time on success or time on accomplishments, in my opinion. But you probably just, and you probably just mentioned it because you've already heard me say it in recent conversations. I wish I probably would have progressed and manipulated my tone board earlier because there was certain things that my J-frame, my custom jig that I have right now, and I've been running a lot of calls. It was a great call. Don't get me wrong. I know you've got plenty of them, but there, there was certain things with transition and things that I wish I would have made the adjustment earlier, but like I said, you can't put time on, on success or accomplishment. Really. I'm pretty happy with where it is now, but that's probably the one thing that I wish I would have made a move with earlier because this new tone board that I'm running now, it's it's spot on for me. I, I, it, I hope it is for a lot of other guys. I'd love to see a lot of people try it out. I, I love it, it's, but that is the one thing I'd say. That was way better of an answer than I ever thought you could come up with. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I had you on that one. Because <laughs> yeah. I ain't got these written down. That was totally off the top of my head. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that, that's, that's the truth, though. I mean, it's, it's all, to me, like I told you earlier in the conversation, it's, I spend 65% of my call making at a tuning table, probably. And that's, I like, that's not a joke, and that's because I'm I love looks of calls. Don't get me wrong; I know a lot of people's all about the looks, but I'm not. I'm here. I'm here for the sound because Duck don't care what that call looks like. I mean, I thought I was about to have a Billy Madison moment and get to tell you that was literally the dumbest thing I've ever heard, and I'm stupider for hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you know, Riley does the whole. If there was one hunt you could take, what would it be? Not this one. Where is one spot? Because I know you, you've taken trips with your dad. What is one bucket list hunt that you want to take your dad on? Uh, I, there's really two of them, and one of them don't even involve ducks. If, if that, is that an available answer? <laughs> oh, Absolutely. I'll be honest, I I would love to go, and I don't know if it's going to happen. Dad, Dad's had some, he's had some hip replacements from playing ball over the years and stuff, but I would love to go elk hunting and hike up in, into some pretty high elevation and take down elk. I've never done that, and I think that would be awesome. I know that strays away from what we're really talking about, but that's just, that's my most honest answer to that question, I should say. What's the other one? Probably going to be going up killing King Otters. I mean, you know, that's a good one because, I mean, you could go elk hunting and he could be, you know, sitting in a lodge somewhere and enjoying himself because, you know, he can't make it up at high elevation, but he's still going to be wondering where his meat is when you do kill that elk. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> I mean, so he's going to benefit from it either way. But King Otters, I mean, by God, y'all were almost there in Washington. Well, I know King Otters is going to be more on the East Coast is where your high population of King Otters Oh, I, I was thinking Harlequins, my bad. Yeah, those are over in Washington. We didn't get out on the coast whenever we hunted in Washington two years ago, but we hunted in some inland places that uh, have, I mean, we smoked mallards with a buddy of mine up there, Scott. But, I mean, we literally paid our airfare and showed up and... He took us on two awesome hunts. One was a dry cornfield hunt. That was great. But my next one, I, if duck hunting wise, to keep it on duck hunting, I would say I'd like to head up one time, just shoot some some otters and do that. I mean, you've already got him got him on an airplane once, so you know, getting him on another one probably wouldn't be as big of a challenge. No, I'm sure I'm. I found a place to go, and we found the time to get away from Arkansas. I'm sure he'd, I'm sure he'd go up there and try that. That'd be totally different from our style and our ways of hunting. That'd be a great experience. <laughs> that that's going to be a, on a bucket list for a lot of people shooting a king otter. Oh, yeah. All right. Question number three. <laughs> this one's going to be hard. Where do you want duck blind calls to be in the next 10 years? Uh, where do I want it, be, want it to be or where is it going to be? <laughs> I, I mean, where do you want it to be? <laughs> like, do you want to keep the small shop aspect or, you know, something like that? Or do you want to be in these big name stores or somewhere in between I've, I've had this conversation with a lot of people whenever they ask me about the cnc line that i come out with and i've i've told them i'll never stop turning duck calls i'll always be turning duck calls so if you want one call me i'll get you one custom made them uh, so I have the feeling 10 years from now that's going to be continued because, like I told you earlier in the conversation, that's therapy. On the other aspect of duck blind calls, the CNC line, I'll go where they take me. I, I mean, I, I'm open to anything on that. I'm, I'd, I'd love to put these in the hands of all of good waterfowl hunters to try them out and give me some good or bad feedback on them. But I'd love, I'd love to be able to push, push them, but even if I don't push them on the level that I want to to keep getting small batches, I'll never stop turning custom calls. So 10 years from now, you can guarantee I'll be in the shop turning calls. Which remains, really, anybody has to respect that you want to keep that personal aspect on the call that you created. Yeah. And, and it, that's the enjoyable part of it. I mean, this the CNC line was, I mean, I got some... I've got a call that I feel like is can compete with some of the better calls out there. I love it. Worked hard on it, and I, I I'll go wherever it takes me. But but you can guarantee if it don't take me, but to the garbage can with them, <laughs> I'll be still turning calls in my shop in ten years. 
Well, Jimmy, I sure appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate y'all having me on, man. Well, we'll holler at you later, and that'll wrap it up for this week. All right, bud. I appreciate it. Tell Rallo, I don't. If you talk to him, tell him I appreciate it. Tell him to give me a call. I sure will. All right, bud. You have a good one. You too. See you.